The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the uh, newscast for episode 246 for the week of April 1st, 2023. Alex, how are you doing? Uh, I am wonderful. How are you, Rob? Very fantastic. You know, I, I think we should really you know cut right to it and announce the big news. Yeah, you know, th- this is actually it's sort of our last newscast, at least in this format, because you know we've got a big, big, big announcement that we're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, Colorado Equal Security, as you know, it is going to be changing. Uh, we're we're no longer going to be Colorado Equal Security. We're we're going to be Colorado Equals. I call it equals blockchain. And, you know, we've seen this coming. You know, I, I, we've been pushing back against it for a while, but we've known that the tide, it's inevitable. And, and blockchain has, has has really proven its value in a lot of use cases where no other technology can, can service you. Um, and as a result, we, we've decided that we should focus on that exclusively. I mean, at some point, you just have to join the Borg and uh, be part of it. Yeah. And, and we're all in on blockchain. All in on blockchain. Uh, with that, let's do some housekeeping and get kicked off here. Uh, we, we have a Slack channel you guys can join at coloradoequalsblockchain.com. Um, go out there and, and click the link to uh, to get in there. And of course, if you are in, if you live in Colorado and you have some kind of interest in blockchain, this is the place for you. Yeah. Um, you can also sign up for our blockchain newsletter while you're there. Uh, this, you know, gives you um, daily updates on all of the uh, the blockchain happenings across the world um, and in Colorado, of course. Um, you know, because why would we limit ourselves? Uh, even though we're the center of the blockchain universe, there's so much going on in blockchain. Uh, and, you know, while you're on the website, um, we would love it if you would take a look at uh, sponsoring us with our, our Patreon campaign. You can get out there and give us some, some money. Um, of course, we do. Uh, accept money and any of your favorite cryptocurrencies. Well, you know, Rob, I have to say one of the first things that we're going to do first project for Colorado blockchain is we're, we're going to be starting a new service. It's going to replace Patreon. People can, um, can sign up and be members through a blockchain based service. I think that this is a, this is a natural next step for Colorado equals blockchain. Um, uh, of course, lots of other good stuff. Rate us and subscribe on your favorite uh, podcatcher. Um, go tell a friend about what we do. Um, and of course, uh, we, we look look forward to seeing you at the virtual blockchain events that we'll be putting on. Uh, you know, we're a little slow. There was an Ethereum conference that was here a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Rob, and we'll, we'll definitely be there in full force next year. All right. So, so Alex, that's it with housekeeping. Before we jump to news... Um, it's April Fools. It is April Fools. It's April Fools. If, if people couldn't figure it out, it's April Fools. Um, Surprise! We, <laughs> we are we are not Colorado equals blockchain. In fact, nor will we ever be. <laughs> uh, but but hopefully hopefully we gave you guys a little bit of a, a fun for your your Monday morning. And by the way, it is this is for the week of April third. But we're recording on April first, so it seemed appropriate to us. Uh, Rob, speaking of Patreon, uh, in the last month we have had a new patron. Uh, very exciting stuff. We'd like to uh, to thank Mark Campbell for for signing up and being a new patron of Colorado Equal Security. Mark, uh, who is the CISO for GMR over by um, by uh, Fiddler's Green, appreciate your support, Mark. We're looking forward to uh, to getting to keep working with you over the years. Awesome. All right, let's jump into some news. Um, for Colorado Equals Security. the uh, we, we love to start off with some local news that you might not have heard other places and not always tech-related. This first one, um, Keystone, you know, one of the well-known ski um, resorts in Colorado, uh, just recently took a vote for their citizens, and they are planning to become the next, the newest town in Colorado. Yeah, uh, Keystone, um, and I believe that I knew this already, it, it was not actually a city. It is, you know, it is just the ski resort there, and the, the areas around there are called Keystone, but it's part of uh, unincorporated Summit County, and uh, there have been efforts over the years by the residents there to to start uh, Keystone as its own city, hopefully get more representation with with different groups and things like that, have more of a say instead of just being part of uh, Summit County in general. Yeah, so a couple of interesting things here thrown in the article. Number one, there are 970 active registered voters in Keystone. So it is not exactly a thriving metropolis. Um, and what was interesting to me is, you know, I would think like you know, this, this is a big question for people who live in Keystone. Um, when when you when you talk about you know voter turnout, I would think at smaller numbers the voter turnout would be better. But when they had to do a vote on whether to become a town, only forty four percent of their nine hundred and seventy people showed up to vote. Although 
in the article, it did say that people were pleasantly surprised that it was 44%. So I I guess it's all relative, right? I I guess I I just, it just feels, I know voter turnout is generally less than half, but, but Holy smokes. Like it's such a, when when you get a small number like that, I just expect it to be higher. Yeah. And I believe it was uh, two to one for becoming a city. And so they, they will move forward with that. The next step is for them to, uh, to form a charter and essentially, you know, letters of incorporation and things like that. Once they have that and can vote on approving those, then they will actually be the city of Keystone. Uh, so they'll be, they're going to be joining towns like Breckenridge, Frisco, Silverthorne, and Dillon as home rule municipalities. Um, and if they if they succeeded with their first vote, but they can't agree on a charter, then rather than home rule, they would be ruled by state state ordinances. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- there were a couple of people in the article that uh, were talking about some opposing viewpoints for becoming their own town uh, of, you know, will this increase taxes and other things like that to uh, to, you know, be a uh, their own city and ju- will becoming their own city actually achieve the goals that they're hoping to, you know, just because they're a city now. Are they actually going to get a, a bigger voice with CDOT and Vail Resorts and other right. things like that? So we'll have to see. Looking forward to it. It's not going to be a huge city. That's not going to make the list of the top 10 biggest Colorado cities, but but it's, it's a well-known one. All right. Up next, uh, Colorado unemployment has reached pre-pandemic levels. Um, also, Coloradans uh, are in general are working less and making more. Yeah, it, it's it's cool to see that um, not only is the the percentage of um, unemployed folks going down, uh, the the percentage of people participating in the job market has gone up. Um, it just ticked up a little bit. I think it was was a six from sixty eight uh, to sixty eight point one percent. Um, joined the the workforce. But, uh, you know, it's not just because a lot more folks are sitting out that this percentage is getting higher. Yeah. You know, I I would would be interesting though, Rob, they didn't, they don't have a lot of the historical numbers about percentages and things like that. It would be good to know what the sort of historical average and things like that of, you know, percentage of people in the workforce and things like that. Um, One of the other things that I noted um, was that national unemployment dropped by one tenth to 3.4%, which is a 54-year low. Yeah, it's, you know, as we talk about um, a potential recession and we talk about inflation, uh, it's, it's interesting that as the Fed has been working really hard to, to slow down the economy, to, you know, to, to slow down inflation, and it has not impacted unemployment yet. Right? Yeah. Jobs, jobs are at like almost all-time high, um, and obviously in our sector, the tech sector, with, with security jobs, like, you know, those things are, are still hard to hire experienced people, even with all the layoffs that have yeah. happened recently. Yeah, that's one of the things that I thought was interesting, too, is, you know, you hear about all of these layoffs, some of them in the tens of thousands, yet we're still nationally at uh, the lowest unemployment that there there has been in 50 years. So and very one, interesting. One last bullet from this article. Um, they say Coloradans are not only more employed, but they're also working less and earning more. The average work week... Uh, for employees dropped from 33 and a half to 33.4 hours. Um, and the average hourly earnings went up from 34.18 to 36.14. So, so congratulations, Colorado. On average, you're working six less minutes a week. And you're making, uh, and you're making you know, more. a couple more bucks extra an hour or whatever yeah. that was. Or uh, was that? Yeah, that was per hour. Yeah. Anyway, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. All right. All right. What, what do we got next here? Next up. Um, a Boulder fintech company has launched a new uh, app, I guess, a new function, which is, you know, being billed as a VC for everyone. Yeah, and so this this guy was um, interested himself in building a venture a venture capital fund and, and investing in startup companies. As he started going through the process of creating his VC and looking at what it was going to look like, he realized that he did not qualify to in, to invest in his own fund he was right. creating. He couldn't put his own money in. And that's because of a, a, a rule, a, a federal law called accredited investors, which requires that anyone who invests in private companies, um, basically they have, they have a certain uh, income level and they have a certain net worth level that this guy didn't meet. And he said, well, that doesn't seem reasonable. And and his, his solution, rather than you know going out and um, trying to change the law, was to try and create a new platform where people who are not accredited investors can put in any amount of money and, and get in early on, on venture capital rounds. Yeah. And uh, by any amount of money, I think the lowest is $500. Um, and uh, yeah, there are no requirements for 
uh, for being an accredited investor, any uh, income requirements. Obviously, there are some disclosures and other things like that uh, relating to risk of the investments. Uh, but yeah, this really is a uh, something that can be uh, for everybody. So that this company is called uh, Sweater Ventures, and uh, based in Boulder. Based in Boulder. In order to do this, you download an app, uh, you invest through the app, and then um, on their side, they figure out that the companies to invest in. Yeah, it it looks like, but it's more than just that. They're also looking at creating um, like like a Shark Tank type of a feel where um, they have a bunch of companies who apply to be. Um, to be funded by this organization and they will come present their, their pitches like at a theater where you can go attend either, either in person or virtually to see the pitches and see, you know, I don't, I think there's even a voting thing that they're planning to do as a part of that to help pick, you know, which, which companies get funded. Yeah. They actually, they did the first one of those called barn burner and it kicked off in February. They had 450 founders that applied. They narrowed it down to 75. The founders pitched their startups in short videos and people voted through sweater uh, and then it, that resulted in five finalists who will compete in person for a $500,000 investment. And and they, they do have the five companies listed here. One of them is a Denver company called FarmShare, which it looked like it was um, getting food fresh from farms to people's houses. Uh, but there's one on here that's not from Denver, from Cleveland, but that it looks like a security company. Um, I, I looked it up and, and they call it Ever every key uh it looks like it's it's meant to replace your passwords and maybe also replace your physical keys which i don't oh. know that i understand quite yet but it, it it's some kind of a combination of like a, a physical token that you can use to to log you into stuff and also get access to other stuff oh that's cool uh one thing i thought was interesting that uh in the first seven months sweater ventures considered two thousand deals they spoke to 600 founders and that they, they did due diligence on about 80 of them and then they selected 26 for investments. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. Um, if, you're, if you're interested in getting involved, I, I get the impression that you could actually get quite involved. They, they mentioned they have, of their members, the people who join the app, they have like 200 who have been trained to be scouts out there looking for companies to invest Interesting. in. Um, so I, my guess is if you're interested in this type of a thing, you know, you should sign up and take a look. All right, moving along, we have uh, we have another local company. We, we love to, to highlight local tech companies. Um, a company in Fort Collins raised $10 million to humanize HR, and their company is called Tilt. Yeah, uh, they are aiming to make parental leave more organized and empathetic, and their uh, platform helps streamline the process of taking leave. Uh, they, they talk about parental leave, but I think that they are uh, really, you know, aiming at any sort of leave of absence, whether that's parental or military or medical or anything else like that. Yeah. And th this company was actually uh, awarded the Emerging Tech Company um, Award at the uh, Colorado Technology Association Apex Awards. Um, they, this, they've raised a total of $25 million in, in capital so far since it was founded in 2018. Um, and they have tripled their size up to they have 90 employees now. So they're you know, definitely not a tiny little company. No, that, that's getting to be pretty big. Uh, they're going to use uh, – there wasn't a lot of detail in here what they're going to use this new $10 million on, but uh, to increase investment in product and sales is, is what they said. Nice. All right. Uh, next we have a story uh, talking about Metro State University and their cybersecurity program. And uh, the a new program that they're doing that helps guide students with autism to cybersecurity careers. It really, it's a really neat program, and it's based on some success that they had had in uh, in England. Um, and what one of the creators of this program uh, was part of that. Man, I, I can't remember what, what what it was from out there in England, but um, he, he was he was a member of that group that was doing the training. Do you have it? I don't, but the, okay. the they're partnering with a, a group called TACT, which is Teaching the Autism Community Trades. So the uh, guy's name, uh, Richard McNamee, um, he is the director of the cyber agent MSU. Um, he, he was talking, oh, the, here it is. Um, in the UK, the British spy agency government communications headquarters has had had this concept for years of of training and hiring neurodiverse employees. Uh, and McNamee, who was a former British Army officer, saw it work there and was excited to do this here as a result. Yeah, and <laughs> excuse me, those folks that um, that are neurodiverse have a lot of the traits that you might want to be a, a cybersecurity analyst, um, you know, looking at patterns, being able to focus on certain things. And this program tries to help uh, focus them towards the things that you would need to be you know, a, a cybersecurity analyst partnering with people 
um, you know, working through problems, things like that. Yeah, it's neat. I have actually heard of TACT as well. It's Teaching the Autism Community Trades. That's what that stands for. Um, and they do from from like really hands-on trades like you know, car repair and um, and woodworking and stuff to, to this more, you know, security a trade. I, I don't know exactly, but like a, a broader set of stuff. Um, what I really loved it, but one of the things I loved about this article as well was they talked about from the very beginning, you know, there's often within folks with autism and also um, within security, there's also like an, an isolation where people don't, don't always work well together. Right. Um, and, and from the very beginning of this program, they all sit around one table and are, are problem solving as a team to try and overcome some of those uh, prejudices or some of those tendencies. So anyway, really cool program. And I'd love to see MSU at the, the leading uh, edge of that. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Uh, next story is a big one. Uh, it's some very, uh, very crazy stuff. Uh, Blackhawk Casino, uh, Monarch in Blackhawk, sorry, I'm reading the headline, uh, was victim of the largest heist in Colorado history. Yeah, so $500,000 stolen from Monarch Casino. And if you guys haven't read the story, it's just it's just worth a, a quick read. Um, but we'll summarize it. So so if you don't, you, you get the, the gist of it. Um, the cashier got a call, um, or the cage operator, whatever you call that person, got a call supposedly from the owners of the casino saying that they had some kind of a medical problem, emergency, and they needed her to bring $500,000 in cash to them in at a hospital in Denver. So could you please go take a bunch of money out of the cage, put it in your car, and come drive down to Denver and give us that cash? Yeah. Um, and she did it. Th- that seems like something that would normally happen. So there were no alarm bells that went off. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, this person, uh, she did it. She drove it down there. Um, it, it was very odd, as you might expect for, you know, something, a social engineering attack like this. Um, but then, um, I think after she delivered the money, I think she may have realized that something was not right and, uh, and came back to the casino and told some people what had happened and, you know, sort of mentioned that she thought she might get arrested, which she did. She did get arrested. You know, I, I am, Man, I, I really have a hard time with this. Like, if someone gets tricked, did they commit a crime? Like, right. I, I just I don't know the answer. Right. Yeah. Like, did, if someone tricks her into stealing, and she believed she was doing her job, like, yeah, maybe she's not a person you want working in your cage anymore, or maybe she's the exact person you want because she'll never let it happen again because she spent time, you know, behind bars, like literally behind bars, as a result of this. Well, I don't know. I, I think the other part is that there. Uh there was clearly a lack of control in the process for taking money out of the vault there uh, for, for an amount that large, you would think that there would have been some other checks and balances that would have prevented anyone from taking $500,000 and out of the vault and out of the casino. Yeah. I, I, imagine if she actually was malicious and she was like, Hey, you know what? $500,000 is enough for me to live the rest of my life happily wherever. And instead of driving that money to the hospital to give to someone in Denver, she drove to the airport and got right. on a plane and she just never came back. Right. Like it, it seems like the controls were lacking regardless of what the motive was. Yeah. Anyway, interesting stuff. Uh, like I said, like it's like the real life boring version of oceans 11. <laughs> That's right. And you know, Rob, we were in, uh, in Blackhawk recently gambling and we did not go to the Monarch casino because, uh, we figured that they're going to be doing things to try and get that money back. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, there's no longer free drinks. You're, right. you're, you're paying twenty dollars. We're making this up, of course. We're just, just kidding at this point. S- slots are a bit tighter, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, only well liquor. Blackjack pays uh, instead of paying one and a half to one, it now pays half to one. You're, right. you know, winning less money if you get blackjack. All right, moving along, we have uh, officially as of what, like just a couple weeks ago, the Colorado Attorney General released our finalized. Um, Oh, shoot. What's regulations for regulations for privacy. Yeah. For CPA, Colorado CPA. Privacy Act. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. So on March 15th, the attorney general's office, they filed the final Colorado Privacy Act rules in the Colorado Register, uh, which you can find them there. But we have an article here that that does a decent summary of, of some of the differences <clears throat> that they have between the, the Colorado Privacy Act and other things like uh CCPA, CPRA, and Virginia, and other things like that. Yeah, it's. A, I actually think it's a pretty good write-up here in the National Law Review. Um, 
requirements around you know flow down when someone when someone requests to have their information deleted not only do you have to does the does the company have to delete it they have to tell all of their sub processors to delete it in the same way and and if there's any situation where um, someone asks for a deletion and it can't be honored you have to say not only like that it wasn't honored but like here's the data elements that we were not able to honor because right. because you just can't come back with a no we can't which i guess right. was okay before well and, and it sounded even like um not just a blanket no we can't but like um we can honor some of this we'll delete these things but these are the things that we can't delete right and sometimes there's probably a good reason for it that yeah right regulatory requirements so. and stuff but but knowing those details i think is an important part of these rights yeah, I mean, other things like uh, universal opt-out and, and some other things that are very specific to the Colorado uh, rule versus some of the other ones. Anyway, it's a good read. You should check it out if you care about privacy or even if you don't care about privacy. All just, right, just do what we say. Just do what we say. Read it. Uh, next, uh, we have a blog post from Red Canary talking about a guided tour of the 2023 threat detection report. Rob, what is the threat detection report? Yeah, so every year Red Canary spends a lot of cycles on analyzing all of what we learned the previous year. And there's, there's monthly releases you guys have seen. We've talked about like the intelligence insights each month, but at the end of the year, we, we bundle it all together and say, all right, what did attacking look like last year? What, what kind of exploitations were most or most important? What were, what were attackers going after? Um, what were defenses that worked and, and what, what are commonalities among places that were exploited? So the threat detection report gives you all of those learnings for the year. Um, for those things that uh, that that we're seeing, and there's like forty thousand uh, different types of attacks that are a part of this. So lots of great information, and this this webinar that we're that we have a link in here to actually walks through all those results. So if you want to know, hey, within my security operations function, am I covering the right stuff? This webinar is going to be a great place for you to start. Any spoilers, Rob, or are people going to have to go read the report themselves? Um, you know, I'll say that my the, the biggest takeaway I got is uh, attackers are going after three things. They're going after endpoints, with the, which they're going to use to pivot and gain additional access to. They're going after identities, which they use to get, at, obviously, access to other systems. And they're going after email boxes. And, of course, you can, you can imagine, right? Endpoints, you're going to be able to do things like ransomware. You're going to be able to do things like um, exfiltrating data email boxes, you're going to be able to do things like business email compromise, right? So they're, they're looking at those three things as the main targets. Nice. All right. Uh, next up, uh, we have a blog post from Pig Identity. It's actually an announcement of a new yeah. product that they have called Neo, which is their new decentralized identity solution. Yeah. You know, when I was at Ping, we bought a company that did that did some decentralized identity, like a wallet on your phone, which you could use to to display and hold identity information. What it looks like to me as I read this, and I, I didn't know this was coming. I, I read it last night. Um, it looks to me like they've taken that initial technology and just and added a bunch of capabilities and features to make it really um, useful for co corporations that want to have um, identity offerings or, you know, claims offerings right. for their customers. Um, it, it really went from what I would say initially looked like kind of a consumer-based technology to this is something that's going to make a lot of sense for companies to adopt. Yeah. So in, instead of, uh, you know, when you need to, to validate a claim or do something like that, uh, going back to the source system where that claim came from, now you can um, use this to, uh, you know, to get and set up your claims and store them locally on your mobile device. And then when you want to go use the claim, you have all of the uh, the information there so that you can just use it directly instead of the the third party system that you're using it against having to go back and check those claims and things like that. Yeah. So this this if you read this article, this press release, like the first half of it is more explaining what is decentralized identity and kind of training you to understand what the second half is going to say. Um, jumping to the second half, though, the the service is I said there's really two parts. One, which it's related, but not the same thing. They're doing identity verification. So if you want to know, hey, this is this is really Alex who's signing up for this account, um, they, you could take a picture of a government ID. They, they have integrations they can do with other systems. Like they, they do a liveness check to see, all right, does that picture on his driver's license match the face that's, that's in the selfie? They'll do those things to identify this is the person. And this is important for things like setting up a bank account, you know, set, setting up any, you know, employment agreement with somebody. If you, you know, in this remote, 
first work environment, does someone really have to come see us in person or can we, can we use an app like this to get them onboarded? Um, so there's the employee or the, excuse me, the identity verification element there first. The second one is this presentation of claims, um, which I think that the great first example they give, which is the most obvious one is, you know, you have a driver's license in your wallet. That thing is really, the reason it exists is so you can prove you can drive, but there's all kinds of places that use it for something else. The most obvious is you, you go to a place that requires you be over a certain age. They want to see your driver's license to see how old you are. When they look at your driver's license, they can see, you know, your, your weight and your, your home address and, you know, your, your eye color and all these things that have nothing to do with, are you over a certain age? Well, with this decentralized identity and these, this claims presentation mo model they're working on, you, you should be able to, you can present just my proof that I'm over 21 in a credible way. Right. You don't get to know where I live, but you get, you don't get to know if I have a commercial driver's license or a, or a, you know, normal, whatever the other one is. Um, you just, just see that I'm over 21 and that should be good enough. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the three advantages that they list about, uh, you know, why you would use Neo. Second one is uh, decentralization of data, right? You know, we know that there are all kinds of credential breaches, big password uh, breaches and things like that. If you have decentralized identity, now you no longer have a central store of those uh, things that can be stolen. And the third is to, to eliminate friction. Um, you know, once your identity has been verified, the credential can be issued so that you never need to go through that verification again. Anyway, it's cool stuff. I, and I'm looking forward to seeing the use cases this actually gets used for. I know they have some, some good ideas in the blog post, but as companies adopt it, they're going to find new ways that it can be useful for them. I also think as security people, it's, it'll be interesting to see what the drawbacks are of it as well, right? Like th there are definitely some advantages of centralization too, um, you know, I think with, uh, since we are uh, Colorado equals blockchain, um, you know, with the decentralization of blockchain, there are definitely some negatives of that too, right? Like if you lose something, it's gone because there's right. no central uh, authority mm -hmm. to, to get it back to you, right? Like yeah. what happens in cases like that? And I'm sure some of that stuff right. will come up as well, but um, probably some uh, misuse cases we haven't thought about because of decentralization. Yeah, I bet there, I bet there are. All right, that, that is it for our ping one. We have one more story here. Um, Secure 64. I feel like we haven't talked about these folks in a while. They are our local DNS appliance security company. Yeah. Based um, out of Fort Collins. Based out of Fort Collins or Greenwood Village, kind of depending on which press yeah. release you see <laughs> at which time. I think they must have offices both places. Uh, but they have announced a new product for them too. They call it Secure 64 Vision, Vision with a Z, which is, of course, cooler. Yeah. Uh, Alex, tell us all about it. Uh, it reports on the data that their appliances uh, put out. There you go. And and it looks like you know a, a really pretty way to see, you know, their 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 appliances were getting a lot of information um, about things like uh, to get into that section here, denial of service attacks, uh, malicious sites that people are going to, phishing attempts, DNS tunneling attempts, fraudulent sites, all kinds of right. like security stuff right across these. I think usually like telco level type networks. Well, now they have really nice reporting about what what all the stuff they've seen is. Is that right? Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, reporting is always good. We love to see our local security companies making progress. All right. Uh, that is it for news. Let's jump over to events. Uh, as always, there is an event calendar on the website, colorado-security.com. Uh, go and check that out for all of the latest events. All right. Starting here on the 7th of April, ASIS Denver, that local physical security group, they have a coffee chat with Lisa Buckley. On the 12th of April, ISSA Denver is doing their April meetings, three game changers and three no-brainers by Doug Staubach. Those are going to be both in the DTC and downtown on the, on the 12th. The On the 14th, Let's Talk Software Security is getting together and, and having a conversation around software security OKRs and KPIs. Oh, that sounds interesting. On the 20th, um, which of course is 420, uh, ISACA Denver is doing their... Uh, annual chapter meeting in person. Also, CSA Colorado is doing uh, a chapter meeting search party threat hunting in the clouds. What, what are they going to be clouds of? What kind of smoke is it on the, the 20th? Yes, there's yeah. going to be lots of clouds to hunt in. On the 26th, ISC Squared Pikes Peak is having their April meeting. On the 29th, uh, Colorado Equal Security is doing our first giving back event where we have some people that are volunteering to help clean up a park in Denver. I think it... Uh, 
at this point we're we're pretty well I think uh, last i heard we had one more spot okay maybe we have one spot if you're interested in this let us know but uh we may be full up with all the volunteers we can take and then the final event to go through here on the 2nd of may um it's another asis denver group this is next your digital profile with carrie sutherland but we should also jump ahead uh, let's jump ahead a month um that is when the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference is happening. It is. Uh, I know you you and I are not as involved as we have been in previous years. Do you know anything, any intel you want to share on who we got keynoting or anything? Um, I don't know that I can tell you about keynotes, but I can tell you uh, registration is currently open. Um, and I believe that the agenda uh, has been published with, I think, at least some of the, the individual speakers that are speaking. Um, and uh, early bird registration prices go through the 14th of April. So um, if you're going to go, you should probably register soon so that you can get the best price. Love it. And, of course, it is the best security conference in the state. Uh, you should be there. I will not be there. Uh, unfortunately, I'm out of town. Not that unfortunate because I'm going <laughs> on an amazing trip over that time. But, uh, but you guys should all be there. All right, let's jump over to jobs. Uh, some interesting jobs this this month, uh, this, starting with this first one. U.S. Bank is hiring an operational risk crisis management executive here that, in Denver. That sounds interesting. Uh, Ring Central is looking for a director of data security. RTD is hiring a manager of cybersecurity operations. Credit Union of Colorado is looking for a supervision supervisor, I suppose, of information security. Sirius XM is hiring a senior security architect. Cloudflare is looking for a lead email security detection engineer. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Oracle is hiring an offensive security manager. Now, I think it's about a manager of offensive security, but I've known some security <laughs> managers who could just be called offensive. So yeah. it could probably go either way. Uh, I mean, uh, if you're one of them, you may should probably should apply. This next one's really interesting, though. Uh, TIAA is looking for a senior director of cyber AI. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it, this person, the, the salary range on this went up to like 280 something, I think. Is, is cyber AI different than regular AI? I'm probably on the blockchain. <laughs> Conga is hiring a product security engineer. And last but not least, Epic is looking for a junior network security engineer. All right. Well, that is it for news. But we do have an interview this week. Tell us about this interview. We do. Um, I sat down a little bit ago with uh, Chris Rothy of uh, Red Canary. He is one of the co-founders of Red Canary. Um, what He's CTO, C CTO, yeah. CTO now. Um, very interesting conversation. Some about Chris, some about Red Canary. It was a good chat. Awesome. Well, that's it here for April. We'll look forward to getting back together uh, again in, in May. All about the blockchain. Thanks, right. Rob. Hi, this is Desiree Robinson, Senior Information Security Manager with Smarsh. This is Colorado Equal Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. Uh, this is Alex Wood, and I have a feature interview today with special guest, uh, Chris Rothy of Red Canary. Hey, Chris. Alex, good to be with you. Good to be with you, too. Good to see you. Uh, beautiful day today. Glad yeah. we could get together and, and do a little chatting. Yep, yep. Three degrees, I think, this morning when I left my house. So that's great. Yeah, you know, it's uh, beautiful spring weather. <laughs> yeah. um, the, uh, you know, you've been around the, uh, the security community here for a long time. And yeah. uh, obviously Red Canary, a, a big pillar of, uh, of the security community here in Colorado. But um, I honestly, I don't know a lot about you personally, and I'd, uh, I'd love to do to learn a little bit more. Um, yeah. are, are you from Colorado? Are you from here originally? I am. Yep. I grew up in Littleton. Oh, nice. Um, yep. Uh, and then went to school up at CU. So, and then my, I've never, never been anywhere but here. First job was here and just success of, uh, of, of jobs after that and always been in Colorado. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you're uh, you, you super excited about Deion Sanders then? It's <laughs> very much so. Yeah, it's been, it's been a dry spell for uh, for Buff football, but uh, yeah, the, but he's the excitement is real. It's it's great. Yeah, the the Buffs have not been uh, up to par the, the last few seasons. Yeah, but it's good. It's, it's uh, we'll have to see how it goes, but at least yeah. there's excitement back in, in the Buff community. That, that's all we can ask for at this point. It's been it's been a rough uh, rough run. When it when it's a toss up between. Uh, Who's worse, CU or CSU? Then, uh, you know, yeah. then that's a bad thing. <laughs> that's a bad, bad couple years. Yep. Awesome. Um, so, uh, so you went to CU after yeah. CU. Uh, what did you do? Did you go to school for for computers? Did you decide that was what you wanted to do, or did you fall into yeah. it? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, my dad was an electrical engineer, uh, and so grew up around computers with hard drive parts all over the place, and uh, you know, circuit board diagrams on the walls from patents he had and stuff like that. So I, it, it's sort of in my blood. Um, I went to went to CU, uh, studied electrical and computer engineering, uh, and uh, definitely leaned towards the computer side of that. So uh, you know, I like to joke that. Despite all the hours I spent in Power Lab and embedded systems and everything else, I haven't done any of that in my career ever. Immediately went into jobs, jobs writing software. Um, my first job out of college, uh, well, job during college and then right out of college was with a, a startup up in Boulder called Freshwater.com that got bought by, uh, by Mercury Interactive and then they became part of HP, so uh, sort of server monitoring software in the, in the early days of the internet. Um, so that was that was pretty fun. Got to learn a little bit about startup culture, and then my uh, my first real job, I guess you'd call it, was very much the opposite end of that spectrum with with Lockheed Martin, um, and uh, obviously a very big company, and uh, you know lots of hush hush type projects. Uh, but I learned a lot there. I learned a lot about you know how you take a big problem and carve it up into smaller problems, and um, you know when you have lots of data to process, how do you sort of create systems that are fault tolerant and uh, scalable. Like one of the things we've, we've really carried forward from our time there was just, you know, you can scale simple things. Uh, complex things are very hard to scale. Um, that's sure. been sort of a, an architectural tenant that we've, you know, served me well throughout my career and certainly with, with Red Canary. But, but yeah, I spent, uh, spent a few years at Lockheed Martin and then as this happens a lot in sort of defense and Intel space, I went to a, a smaller contractor um, I think I was employee 10 or 11, maybe 13 at that company, uh, subcontracting back to the, the big defense contractors. So uh, didn't change a lot about my day-to-day -day job, but did get a feel, a little bit of a flavor for being an early employee at a company and uh, what does it take to, to grow and find new sources of revenue. And, and uh, so we were able to scale that company pretty well um, while I was there and then they did lots of great things after, after I was gone, but uh, got a taste of it there and, and, and you know, next up was, was the things that led to Red Canary. But that was the early part of my career in, in that space. So I, I'm curious, what, what led you to go from you know, being uh, at Lockheed to being yeah. a contractor to Lockheed? Yeah. Was that uh, other people or you thought, you know, oh, I wanna do something a little bit different or? Yeah, really, uh, um, I'd be lying if I didn't say part of it was money. Right. Um, so, so definitely, it's, you know, always, it's always more, let's be more lucrative yeah. being a contractor. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. Uh, significant uh, pay bump in it. But, uh, and I think you would see this if I were to show you my W-2s over the years. I, I'm not financially motivated. So the, the bigger thing really for me in that was uh, the, the team I joined at this company, Solidine, uh, was known as some of the best contractors in that area. Uh, and really liked the idea of, hey, join sort of, the A team and help recruit other members to that and, and get to a place where, you know, in that forest of many, many thousands of contractors, we're the ones that really are, are, are moving the needle on some of these defense projects. So that was the idea and sort of the concept for that company that the two guys who, um, who founded that company, Andy Marshall and Mike Pearson, were, had really clear vision for what they wanted to do in that area. And I, I really respect those guys. They've since sold the company and, and uh, are doing, off to doing other things. But, um, you know, their energy was something that really drew, drew me to that. And, and, and then the entrepreneurial piece of it. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to get lost in big companies sure. and uh, um, not feel every day like your work matters. And so uh, going to that smaller company gave, us, gave a lot of that uh, opportunity as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, you know, defense contracting could be related to information security, but probably, especially back then, probably wasn't. Sure. I, I haven't heard anything in there yet that says uh, says information security. How how did you go from from doing the defense contracting to pivoting into yeah. into information security? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm a pretty abstract guy, so to me, they're not that different. But uh, in the the common word would be security, right? So national security versus information security. Um, but yeah, the, the stuff we worked on in the defense space was uh, was largely satellite data processing type programs. Um, both data processing and ground stations. I worked on the GPS ground station for a while uh, and then some other stuff I can't say too much about. Um, 
But the problem was similar to, to one that we ended up facing or that we, everybody has in information security, which is how do you take huge, huge volumes of data and find the things that are actually worth looking at, right? Um, and so the pivot for me was, was less about going from, you know, something outside of security into security and more about one flavor of security and, and detection um, into a different flavor of, of security and, and ultimately detection. So um, the transition, really the way it worked is uh, Brian, our, our CEO, my, my very close friend, uh, we both worked at the company I mentioned, Solidine, as contractors uh, and worked on a lot of kind of side project, research projects together while we were there. Um, and he had some contact, uh, or pre previous experience with some guys who um, had spun out from a defense contractor called Mantech and were doing some interesting stuff in and around the, the intelligence community, but also commercializing some of the results of their, uh, their work. That company's called Kyrus. Um, so Brian went over there to sort of open their Denver office and about six months later, yeah, I followed him over there. Uh, the project um, I worked on with him along with Keith, our third co-founder is uh, originally was Kyrus Managed Security. Um, and the idea was to start our own sort of boutique MSSP. Uh, and we realized very quickly that, uh, you know, part of the problem with quality in the MSS space was just breadth, trying to do too much. Uh, and so with the sort of advent of EDR and, you know, Kyrus incubated and then spun out Carbon Black, sort of the origin, original EDR vendor. Um, so with that, we were able to kind of focus very intently on endpoint detection. Uh, and that led to the creation of MDR and everything else. But that was sort of the pivot for me was going from the national security space and, and focusing on sort of satellite data processing problems for the purposes of detection. Um, to sort of naturally over into security and, and doing a, a different form of, or information security and doing a different form of detection. Yeah. I, I'm curious how you guys decided this was the problem to tackle. Um, obviously, there's lots of problems yeah. th that are out there in information security or, yeah, yeah. you know, or national security or, or of whatever. Of course, yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, this is definitely a big one. What, what was it that, that drew you all to, yeah. um, to what became managed detection and response? Yeah, it, it really started with incident response. So Kairos was doing incident response um, on, on a pretty small scale. We had a, a handful of, of customers and, and it was largely in and around the defense and intel space. So, you know, defense contractors who had had, you know, breaches of, of some kind or another. Um, and on one of those engagements, uh, you know, and I wasn't there, this is sort of predated me, but on one of those engagements, they brought along a guy who came more from the offensive side of security and said, hey, um, you know, take notes, tell us what you think about the way we're doing incident response. And after a couple weeks of the IR, he, he comes back and he's sort of like, that's it? Like, that's IR? Like, why did, like, you spend all your time taking disk images and rummaging through logs and like five minutes doing any actual, like, tracking of the, the threat actor? Um, why don't you just build something that collects all the data and, you know, hands it to you? And we're like, well, that'd be cool. Uh, <laughs> can you build it? And it, it turned out that that particular team had the skill set to do the, you know, kernel level development required to create what became Carbon Black. Um, and so they did that. Uh, and so we um, continued doing incident response using Carbon Black as our tool. So we land in an IR, do deployment, uh, collect the data clean up the incident and get to the end, hand over the report and do all the wrap up and walk away feeling like, well, we're going to be back here in three, six months, whenever the actor decides to come back, because uh, right. they're not going to do any of the um, long-term improvements they need. So one of the re recommended actions we would have coming out of IRs was, hey, keep this thing collecting the data so that when we do come in, <laughs> we don't have to go through deployment again. We can just you know, start investigating. Maybe even look at it every once in a while and yeah, see if maybe. you notice anything going on. Yeah, and that, that was sort of the re big realization we had is we're like, you know what, they're not going to look at it. Uh, right. and, and someone should. And they were also asking us, hey, we don't really want to host this thing. Like, can you host it for us? And so we said, sure. So we started running Carbon Black servers for these customers. And pretty quickly, the next step was like, well, why don't we look at it for them and tell them when there's a problem instead of, uh, instead of waiting for them to call us. So... Um, 
I love to say we had this like great insight that led right. to, oh, you know what, there's this gap in the market, but really it was more organic than that. It was, it was sort of like this progression from, hey, somebody did get breached and we came in to help them clean it up to, hey, they need this tooling longer term so that if, we, if they have another breach, they can uh, deal with it more quickly to, hey, why don't we just do this continuously for them? Um, and so that's sort of the, the original concept was if we can do incident response level monitoring of an environment 24-7, 365, then maybe nobody ever has to call a capital I, capital R incident response firm. Um, so we sort of put our own IR firm out of business. We stopped doing it and shifted our focus to uh, to what became managed detection response. We didn't know what it was at the time. We right. just knew, uh, hey, this is providing value and we're catching things before people have a bad day. Yeah, I, I am curious, yeah. since you say that, um, the what is it, were there names that you guys called it before it, it became oh, NDR? Um, you know, yeah, we used, we tried a few things in trying to explain it to customers. We would talk about sort of continuous incident response or um, just continuous monitoring. We even, like, Gartner coined, so we spun the company out and, and, and uh, started in 2014. Gartner didn't coin the term MDR until 2016. And even after 2016, for a couple of years, we were, we sort of rebelled against the the name just because it didn't to like the other folks in MDR didn't really feel like the same thing as what we were doing. Right. right? Um, you know, we tried detection response as a service, you know, things in and around that area. Uh, and ultimately like the big business lesson learned we, we got from that was <laughs> once Gartner created the category, just right. use the category right. name because you're, you're stuck. Just, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're just causing yourself more pain by trying to explain to, you know, the market and, and customers. How you're how you're not that even though you sound like it so right yeah um, the other thing I was gonna say back on uh, you know your point yeah. about this being sort of more organic is yeah. I feel like that's how the best products and companies happen right like someone has an experience that right. that they see a problem they've experienced it themselves and they try and find a better way to solve it yeah um, I, I see a lot of times now where yeah. you know pe people that are you know sometimes previous founders or you know, venture capitalists or things like yeah. that, like do research to figure out, you know, right. where there's a hole in the market and like, oh, could yeah. a product fit here? Yeah, yeah. And then you spend a whole bunch of time trying to figure out what that means and probably do it badly. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I don't feel like that works as much as when it's like, when there's really the, oh, I experienced this thing. Yeah. There's a, a, a way to solve it. Let's try and solve it that way. Yeah, solve your own problem, right? Um, and, and we had the benefit, you know, I'm, I'm not an, person who came from information security before that, neither is Brian, but we did have Keith and he was, right? And, and right. Keith was, uh, you know, the IT and security leader for a large defense contractor that went through a breach and effectively had to burn their entire network down and start over and build it from scratch. Um, so he knew the problem inside and out, right? He And so for, for many years, like that's the way we thought of it is, we're solving Keith's problem here. Uh, and, and so that, kind of insight was what <clears throat> what led us to be able to kind of progress through that. But totally agree with you. I mean, the other thing we see a lot of is uh, is uh, cool technology looking for a problem to solve. Right. Um, I think the biggest example in, in security with that over the last number of years is definitely, you know, AI and ML. Um, they're great tools. Like we use ML in a, a variety of places in, in our system. Um, but I think you could confidently say every time someone started from I'm going to use ML to solve a security problem. They got to a weird place. Right. Whereas if they started from, here's the problem that I really truly understand and I've validated with customers and I know everything about, now what are the best tools and ML is one of them, I think you would, you would find a very different success rate between those two. Right, yeah, we're, we're trying to solve this problem and we're doing, we're doing binary things, we're doing yeah. you know, rules, we're doing things like that. We, you know, we, we can't do that anymore. We need it to be better than that. Right. Let's try and figure out a model yeah. to do it as opposed to, yeah. oh, here's a problem. Is there a model we can apply to this right. th that's going to find what we want to find? Right, right. Or like, Maybe. I, I think the, it's, I think ChatGPT and the whole generative AI space is amazing. I think as often happens with these mm -hmm. things, people get ahead of themselves a little bit and they're like, oh, this could do this thing. And it's like, well, yeah, it could, but is it the right mm -hmm. 
is it the most efficient way to do that? Is it the most cost effective? Is it even the best experience for the user, right? And maybe the answer to all that is yes, but if you start from, from the technology and work your way back to the problem, you're gonna struggle. I, did, I remember years ago when, when Hadoop first came out, um, and you know, amazing power. All, all right? other databases are going away. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, this, and, is, this is how to solve big data. And I, for years I looked for a problem to, to apply Hadoop to because I thought it was so amazing. And every single time it ended up being, no, nah, dude, you just need like a big database or you just need like a flat file storage or something. Um, and it turns out like, yeah, Hadoop's amazing for, for what it's amazing for, but that's fairly narrow, you know, MapReduce type use cases. Um, I, I think that's, that's the trap a lot of folks fall into, you know, many times when they start from the technology and, and go looking for a problem. So, so we never did that. Um, and some of that means that like, uh, you know, we've been slow to adopt some of the things that, that other folks in the market claim to be getting a lot of success from. But that's okay. I mean, that's that's uh, we'll use them when they make sense for us to use them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so you mentioned that you and Brian end up working together yeah. before coming here. How, how did Keith come into the picture? Yeah. So Keith had worked. Uh, so the company I mentioned, Kairos, uh, the five founders of that had all been connected back uh, at a defense contractor, large defense contractor. Um, and Keith and Brian had both worked with those guys at that defense contractor in sort of the mid, mid late uh, 2000s. Um, so Keith w was actually at Kairos before Brian or I, w I were. <clears throat> and he was the one who sort of built their initial incident response practice, uh, forensics practices. Um, and then, yeah, so Keith was there. Brian and I kind of came along to help uh, build out some of the systems and software and and uh and company around the, the the problem keith wanted to solve yeah yep so so the three of you uh you, you what like nine ish years now coming up on nine yeah, years yeah be 10 10 years that i've been working on this problem in uh in just a couple months so wow it, it was weird I, I realized that the other day i was like oh man that's that's big now so so the three of you started working on the problem yeah you're all still here together yeah at, at red canary yeah. working don't on the hate problem. each other <laughs> most days um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious how that, that works for, for all of you is, yeah. um, how have you guys been able to manage that, that relationship yeah. and the company and things like that? Because, you know, oftentimes you'll see, totally. you know, at, at one point, one of the founders leave yeah. or, um, company gets to a certain size and they've, you know, you decide, okay, um, you know, we, we've, we've been pulling Brian along this, this far, but you know, we need sure. an actual CEO now. Sure, sure, like, yeah. so let's, uh, let's get a new CEO. How, how has all that dynamic worked for you guys? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it would start from the fact that like, and I'm speaking about the other two, I hope they would say the same about me. Like they're such good people. Like it, it starts with that. Like they're low ego, uh, high character, great human beings. Right. And, and I think because of that, uh, some of the typical things that you see in, in startups where ego or greed or jealousy, um, drive people apart. We just haven't had to deal with, with that, you know, um, not to say we never will. I mean, who knows what could happen, but, but to date, like we all, uh, kind of row in the same direction and, and, uh, you know, celebrate with each other and get down when, when things don't go well together and, and, and all that. Um, one of the things, I don't know, like just external validation, I can say that, but one of the things I think uh, really struck me is several years ago, the three of us plus uh, one of our other early employees, Corey, who's a legend in Red Canary circles, uh, the four of us were on this trip with a bunch of other guys um, in, in Scotland. And uh, one of the guys on the trip was uh, the founder of another company that had had some conflict in, in not just their founding team, but then when they brought in outside executives and worked on, on some very combative executive teams. And um, at one point on the trip, like several several days into it, he's like, you know, it is so cool to see you guys interact. Like you all sort of take care of each other. You know, he's like little things like when one of you gets up to go, you know, refill a water bottle, you ask if the other guy needs one, like stuff like that. So. I, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to say that. It's hard to like uh, say this is exactly why, but I think that some of it is that like we legitimately like each other, we care about each other, and and uh, 
and generally are, are pretty low ego individuals. Um, you know, from a company culture perspective, like how have we tried to map that into the company, uh, our core values are an attempt to sort of recreate that on, into something back to like simple things can scale, complex can't. Um, our way to sort of codify that into something that we can scale up and we've, we've been really successful with that. Our number one company core value is do what's right for the customer. Um, and I think if we've ever, if we ever have arguments, it's about disagreements over what's right for the customer in a, in a certain circumstance, which is a good thing to argue about, right. um, <laughs> to, to debate and figure out what is the actual right thing to do here. Um, so that's, that's sort of, uh, you know, if I were to go to another business and advise someone else in, in some other area, I, I would say like, how customer centric are you? Like how, how much do you start there and then work your way back to, to yourselves and to, to the, the rest of the company? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so your role yeah. is CTO. Yeah. Uh, w what does that mean for you on a, on a day to day and, and sort of, I guess, a strategic part for the company? Yeah. Um, so it's a, to be honest, a relatively new role for me. I've had that title for, for about a year. Uh, my journey at, at the company as, as a lot of founders would, would have has been, um, to wear a lot of different hats. You know, I started the company, we started the company and, uh, you know, I'd never sold anything in my life before that, but at some point you realize, hey, you gotta, you have to have customers in order to, right. uh, to have a business. Uh, and so had a several year run there of figuring out how to sell myself, uh, not myself, but sell our product, uh, and, then, um, and then how to build the initial sales team and scale that up to, to a certain level. And then how do you hand that off to professionals who can, uh, can continue to scale it up? Um, so I had a chance to work on the go-to-market side of the business for, for quite a long time, which has uh, really helped as I moved back over into the product and, and technical side to have a lot of context about, you know, what should we do, what shouldn't we do, what provides value, what doesn't provide value. And so uh, what that leads to in my role in, as CTO is, is uh, being able to sort of map the big picture context onto things we're hearing from customers, um, technology that exists that could solve problems, making ourselves more efficient internally, uh, evaluating new technology for, for possible um, uh, improvements in, in various areas. Um, probably the least favorite part of, of what's within my scope is uh, sort of the policing. <laughs> you know, uh, um, I, as an engineer, I love to tinker with new things and different technologies and see, see what's gonna work. Um, at, you know, when you're scaling a system like we are, we have to, you know, one of my favorite blog posts that's out there is called Use Boring Technology. Um, and the concept of it is like, hey, if it's been around and battered for many years, like it's reliable. So, you know, we love Postgres databases. Every once in a while, somebody will suggest, and you know, why don't we try this one? It's new, it has this different thing or it's this or that. And it's like, dude, we've like Postgres database has been beat to death for 30 years. We're going with that. You know, <laughs> unless there's some hugely compelling reason to change. Why can't I use Hadoop? <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's probably my least favorite part of my job is, is sort of being the um, the drawer of boundaries that says here's 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 what we can use, here's what we can't use. But it is it is my responsibility. And then, you know, with the current uh, economic cl climate and just the way company valuations have changed and fundraising and everything like that, um, we've always been a very capital efficient company. But everyone's trying to get more efficient. Um, and so a big part of my job for about the last year has been to drive cost reductions in our cloud spend, um, uh, which is uh, surprisingly fun. Uh, you know, you wouldn't think that would be fun to sort of go stare at your AWS bill a lot and try to figure out what are the, it's a the things we can change. But uh, yeah, it, it, it very much is. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that last, over the last year. Um, and then probably the third, the third big uh, pillar is Evaluating new technology. What are what are those things? When stuff like ChatGPT show up and everybody's excited, like where's the meat there? Like what are the um, potential applications? What are the risks, et cetera? Yeah. Uh, so that we can have a sort of consolidated company position on it, uh, as opposed to just uh, you know, here's here's an idea. Here we could go do this. So. So, so what you're saying is you've already added ChatGPT <laughs> to the Red Canary platform. No, right? we, we haven't. Uh, you know, there, there are some efforts in, uh, underway to sort of figure out what, uh, what might be interesting there. But, uh, 
I don't know. I probably shouldn't even brought up ChatGPT. Every, <laughs> every podcast I listen to, they get on the subject of it, and I'm just like, okay, uh, I get it. Quiet. It's cool. It, it is interesting. Yeah. It's maybe not quite that interesting. Yeah, it's it, definitely interesting. It's like, it's like our discussion about technologies. There's great technology there in, in the GPT models. but uh, That's right. Yeah. Um, so, so it sounds like you've been doing a lot of optimization yeah. and, and perfecting of the things that you guys are doing. Sure, yeah. Um, do, do you feel like the, the core mission of what you guys are trying to accomplish has, has stayed the same and, you know, the, the things that you're delivering are still delivering on that? Because, you know, you, yeah. we mentioned Gartner earlier, right? Sure. Like, at, at some point, Gartner is going to take a left turn and decide that this market is something else that it's not or yeah. it's, you know, whatever. Do you guys feel like you're still in the right direction? And Yeah, it's funny you, you say that sentence. I was literally on a, a Gartner um, call yesterday and one of the overarching messages is endpoints effectively dead, right? Which I think is too strong, like endpoints not dead. But the con the concept is correct, right? Like the core mission of, of Red Canary is uh, to, you know, create a world where every company can do their best work without fear of damage from cyber attack, right? That hasn't changed, right? And, and we've set up our, our uh, mission intentionally so that it wouldn't be tied to any particular data set or, or problem to solve other than keeping companies safe from cyber attack. So what's changed about, uh, about the MDR space? The main thing is that, uh, you know, this was already happening, but the pandemic and work from home kickstarted it, you know, huge move towards SaaS, cloud, work from home, that kind of stuff. Uh, and with it, adversaries follow and so um, whereas several years ago we would have made very strong statements that hey if you if you're doing great endpoint detection um, you're like 90 90 percent of the way there I don't know made up number nowadays that's not anywhere close to that right you have to be monitoring identity um, you know monitoring your cloud infrastructure and the, what's happening inside of that and so that's been the big shift over the last couple years is you know we were known as the experts in using endpoint telemetry and endpoint data to detect threats. Um, and we're still really, really good at that. And we find threats continuously. I think we, you know, some reports coming out, we found something like 37,000 threats, left, confirmed threats in customer environments last year um, and continue to do that every day. Uh, but now we have to kind of expand that aperture. Uh, and one of the ways our customers communicate that to us is they say, you know, tell us the whole story of this threat, right? Um, several years ago, cool, you you told us what landed on the endpoint, but now I gotta go trace through my email and security, you know, email security products and everything else to figure out how did that malware get there, right? Um, we've done a lot in the last couple of years to fill in that story and also to be able to detect threats that never touch an endpoint. So that's been the big shift that, that we've made um, and it's ongoing, but, but uh, we've done a pretty good job developing expertise in those, those different areas, you know, specifically SaaS and, and cloud. Yeah, I think a good, good example of what yeah. you're saying is the, the, the recent Circle CI breach. Yeah. Um, it, it started on the endpoint. Right. You know, some, uh, the, the attacker landed there yeah. and, and stole a session cookie yeah. And then was off doing other stuff. For sure. Right? Yeah. Like so, if yeah, if you're just looking at endpoint data, yeah, you probably would have de detected that yeah. somebody was there doing something right. like something weird's going on, yeah. and you could probably figure out that the yeah. session token was was stolen. But then yeah, now you got to go figure out okay, well, what did they do with it? Yeah. You know, where did it go from there? Yeah, and in that case, like you know, prior to a lot of the the new work that we've done, um, that's sort of getting lucky that they did touch an endpoint, sure. right? As opposed to they just stole the stole the thing off of, you know, social the data somebody or got it off of a public GitHub repo or wherever right. else people find session session tokens. So MFA bombing or yeah, exactly, you know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, well, that's awesome. Um, any, uh, any exciting things that, uh, that you want to tease upcoming for, for you or, or Red Canary or? Yeah, I, the, the biggest one would be, um, you know, our community team has been hard at work on the, the new version of the threat detection report. So mm -hmm. that drops uh, 
here pretty soon. I was talking to Keith leads that effort and talking to him this morning and he just he looks like he looks haggard. He's been <laughs> he and their that team have been been working really hard and uh, he's really really excited about some of the new insights and stuff from that. We do that every year. One of the uh, one of my favorite things about what we've done at Red Canary is that we have this focus on making everyone better and positively influencing um, information security folks. And so Keith leads our, our community team who has a charter to just go do great things for the community. So they do a lot of talks, they do uh, open source projects like Atomic Red Team uh, is the, probably our most well-known one. Um, and they lead the threat detection report every year, which is tons of effort. They spend a lot, a lot of time and, and, and energy on it and then we give it away for, for nothing. Like, sure, we connect it to the top of our marketing funnel, but uh, right. but it's a giveaway to the, to the community. Um, and so, yeah, anyone who hasn't uh, checked that out in previous years, definitely recommend checking that out when, uh, when it comes out here in the next couple of weeks. Cool. Uh, we're almost out of time. The, one of the last things I wanted to ask you is, yeah. um, you know, you, you grew up here. Yeah. You went to school here. You've, you've stayed here. Um, well, sort of a two-part question. What, why are you still here? Yeah. And second, you know, how have you seen the, the the security landscape and the technology landscape yeah. in Colorado change over the over your time here? Yeah. Why am I still here when I love to play golf and it's three degrees outside? I ask <laughs> myself that uh, a lot. Um, but no, I mean it's home and I, and I love it. And I think uh, one of the things that uh, you know we aren't explicitly a company that's trying to change the uh, the technology ecosystem in Colorado, we're, we're cu customer focused company, right? We're here to do great things for customers. But I would, would say I really do love the idea that we're a company that's been built in Colorado. We're a Colorado based company. And, you know, uh, there's been a lot of great Colorado based security, security companies. Um, and so we're following, following on the, uh, you know, on the shoulders of the logarithms and pings and, and everybody else. Uh, but the reality is we want to go past what they were able to do and, and keep going and become a really big, meaningful, you know, dominant player in our, our industry um, here in Colorado. Like, I think that'd be really cool as a Colorado native to be able to say, hey, we built the, you know, we built the biggest security company in, in Colorado. Not that size matters in terms of the size of the company, but in size of impact that we were able to make on, on our sure. customers. Um, so how's it changed? I mean, I, I think, Colorado is such an, and Denver is such an interesting ecosystem for startups in general. Um, you know, there's not a ton of VC here. There's not a, you know, VCs from outside the area are sometimes hesitant to, to invest here. And so those are some of the perceptions that I would hope that success of, of us and Ping and, and some of these other companies, especially in security, can help change. Um, but, uh, but that's probably the thing we've seen seen most over the last several years in terms of how, how things have changed is, um, you know, Silicon Valley used to be the only place that you could get funded uh, in a meaningful way. And that's not true anymore with the rise of Utah and Austin and Miami now and, and everywhere else. And I hope that we can continue to, to put help put Denver and Colorado on the map there, um, especially in security where we have such a a core competency here and so many so many people who are passionate about it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear that. Uh, final, in, anything else that I didn't ask or, or anything that uh, you want to close with? Uh, nothing, nothing immediately comes to mind. I mean, uh, I really appreciate uh, the time. Appreciate you coming down here to our office when it's freezing outside. Stay warm out there. Uh, that's Colorado. So. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Good talking to you. As well. This has been Colorado Equals Security, and we will talk to you next time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equals Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado Equals Security.